Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. My name is Alan Menken, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theater podcast. Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. The term legend gets thrown around rather a lot these days, but it's never been more deserving than for my next guest on this, the finale of season two. He is a Disney legend, a record-breaking Academy Award-winning composer. He's the man behind The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Newsies, Pocahontas, Hercules, Little Shop of Horrors, Leap of Faith, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Enchanted, Sister Act the Musical. The list of classics is endless. For his work, he's received eight Academy Awards. That's more Oscars than any living person. And he's also the recipient of seven Golden Globes, 11 Grammys, Drama Desk Awards, and a Tony. Here, in an exclusive conversation, it's time to discuss it all, including collaborating with Lin-Manuel Miranda to add rap into the new adaptation of The Little Mermaid, what we can all expect from Halle Bailey's Ariel, Ariana Grande performing his hit song, his recent EGOT crowning, the lasting legacy of the late Howard Ashman, the hilarious story of him accidentally letting slip to Whoopi Goldberg about him writing a musical adaptation of Sister Act. Plus we get an update on some of his new projects, including bringing Hercules to the stage, writing the sequel to Enchanted, and completing the musical adaptation of A Night at the Museum. It's all here with the man himself. It's Mr. Alan Menken on this, the season finale of Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Just to let you know, due to the COVID-19 global pandemic, Alan and I connected across the pond digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. Please help me welcome to the next episode of Eleven. I'm absolutely honoured to say that I have Mr. Alan Menkin with me today. Alan, hi, how are you doing? Hi, William. Good, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for being on Eleven today. I was joking just before we started recording that you do have this career that is enormous and there is so many things to discuss and we (laughs) don't really have, I don't think, enough days in the year to be able to talk through all the projects that you've worked on. So let me try and touch on a few of them here and celebrate those. Before I do that, I must wish you very many congratulations on your most recent award which was received i think it was june or july last year oh oh oh, the the i finally got the e on egot you did you got the infamous e on egot which for anybody that doesn't know is emmy grammy oscar and tony award which is reserved for very few people in the world that have the sort of the full lineup so congratulations to you on that was it was it kind of nice or was it just a little bit strange to get such an accolade? It was a relief. My reps, had, for, you know, for years have been saying, you're almost at Negat. I said, okay, whatever. I don't, it's fine, whatever. Oh, no, okay, you'll get it now. And then it didn't happen. I go, I, I don't care. But they kept, okay, fine. So finally, <laughs> finally I got the Egot for so, uh, the song from um, the Tangle TV show. I'm glad I got that out of the way. Uh, you know, I I have actually a regot, as I've said often, which which includes my my Razzie Award for worst song of the year, for the same project that I won my my Tony for. That's uh, poetic justice. So I imagine when you win, I think it was best score for Newsies at the Tony Awards, but you get the Razzie, like you mentioned. It's I suppose it's a full circle moment, but also you you must have felt pretty smug that day. That that's a good moment, right? <laughs> it's yes, it's a good moment. I mean, listen, it was a fun moment when I won the Razzie because I was backstage at the Oscars, um, talking to the press after having won for Belle and Beauty and the Beast. 
And uh, then I found out about the Razzie for Newsies. And I loved Newsies. I loved working on it. The song that they mentioned was actually one that we had ended up cutting anyway. And it didn't make it into the Broadway show. And that was High Times, Hard Times. When you get so many awards, and I just want to check that I get the statistic right. So this may be very embarrassing for you. So please right. forgive if I go through all these. But eight Academy Awards, seven Golden Globes, 11 Grammy Awards, and a Tony win. I mean, some people can dream of only one of those. And an Emmy. And now the Emmy. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Forgive me, I almost missed it. When you get all these the awards e. yeah. and you get, you know, not just one of them, but multiple of them, do they get even more special or any less special? Does it become normal or does it become slightly strange? I guess, how do you approach it? I think it's more the latter. It's like strange because um, there are so many variables that lead to one getting an award. A lot of it is the quality of the work, but a lot of it is the visibility of the work. It, you know, it's a project that your work is attached to. And I like to think that the contributions I make to those projects help make those projects ones that are worthy of bringing you know, my material forward. But still, you know, a lot of it's serendipity. A lot of it has to do with who you're associated with and, and the timing and all that. And for a while, I looked at it as, you know, God playing a trick on me because I was terrified of public speaking for a while. And I kept, and I kept being shoved up there on, onto that podium in front of, you know, billions of people going, ah, blah, blah, blah. but no, it was, uh, it's amazing, especially with the Oscars, the effect that they have on your career. And it's, uh, it's a blessing. It's incredible. And as much as we joke as well about getting multiple of these awards and, and sort of completing, completing the set as it were, you know, you have had a career that covers 35 years plus this, you're not sort of new to the game as such, and you've had the opportunity to, to build on some projects and to learn and to be able to grow. And I imagine that in itself is also nice for you that you feel like there's sort of personal growth within your career that you get to, you know, build and build and build. I see, yeah, I see the growth, but a lot of it has to do with just sort of what life brings to me and, what I get to, you know, open my heart and open my mind and and contribute my my musical gifts to, um, and it's you know each day to me is a uh, is a wonder about what you know might come through me that day, um, and yes, it, it is amazing when I see accumulating all the things that have accumulated over the years, you know, and part of that is, you know, I always tell young people. You know, that thing that you're passionate about, that you want to do every day of your life, that's what you should do with your life. And that's, you know, kind of playing music and playing, you know, writing songs and writing, you know, writing music is that thing for me. And so it's kind of natural that I would accumulate this big catalog because not only, you know, my career, but it's kind of my passion as well. And I imagine the passion itself is what drives you to try new things, to be able to work on on projects that are exciting for you. And I think when you see someone living in an authentic space that's working, you know, within their means and doing what they do best, that's where they tend to shine. And I love the fact that you talk about passion because a lot of it does have to come down to passion. You know, it is a job, of course, but passion is a key part of the creative process. Yes, it is that. And also um, you're sharing a space, a creative space with other people. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, writing a musical is also having a relationship with your collaborators, the lyricist, the book writer, the director, the, it's, 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 a, you know, it's a wonderful world that you're sharing with people. And it's, it's a wonderful, you know, shared activity 
that just also gives your life just a, a, a wonderful value. When the pandemic first happened, and perhaps from then up until now, how has that changed your life? Have you been able to continue on that creative process or has it sort of put a bit of a bump in the road? Well, there's no bump in the road as far as the, the creative process of writing. There's obviously a huge bump in the road in terms of the creative process of performing live, of, of attending recording sessions, of being in the room with actors or directors, all of the attendant aspects of our lives that, you know, because a big aspect of my life is car picking me up, I'm off to the airport, I'm off to the hotel, and then I'm off to the meetings, and I'm off to the meals, and and just the the life of this international community of people working in theater and in film and in television. Um, it's a rich, wonderful life, and the, the pandemic pulled the plug on that, and basically it made a star out of Zoom uh, <laughs> and other other platforms like that. But we've, we've really been able to um, keep our projects going full speed uh, for the most part, as far as writing. The sequel to Enchanted is now, was basically started during the pandemic and now is ready to start filming. The animated film I'm writing with John Lasseter's new company, Skydance, um, it's called Spellbound. That's um, having a screening coming up. Uh, I completed a musical of Night at the Museum. Um, which is now talk with discuss talk to the directors and you know when the pandemic lifts we're ready to go. Of course, just before the pandemic, uh, Hercules had premiered at in Central Park, and there's a lot of projects that are just waiting to move forward. And um, and I'm juggling about ten projects now, and um, thank God because it keeps I, that's what keeps me sane through this you know this crazy period. I think you might have just answered my next question, which was going to be, do you work on multiple projects at the same time? But oh yeah, that's a definitive yes from you. You have to, you have to, you know, it's, I feel, I feel terrible for people who just work on one thing at a time because it really limits what you do, but it's easier for me to, to multitask because of, of collaboration, number one, and because of technology, my ability to have, you know, the work in, in MIDI files or in word files or whatever it is that I can just bring it back thank you know thank god for, for that technology um and i am blessed with being able to get, get off one project to go to the other and part of that is something that you know started when i was working with howard ashman which is every project having its own very very specific musical universe that it comes from a, a period of time a place a, a sensibility that's unique to that project so that when i return to a project i go ah i'm back in this place. And as much as possible, I try to keep each of these worlds distinct. You mentioned about community in your in your answer before about going around the globe and getting to perform and meet people and to go through so much of, of your success and the work that you've produced. When did you first notice when you were traveling internationally that you'd sort of, you'd hit the jackpot that there was success there for you? And, and when that hasn't happened before and then it does happen, how long does it sort of take for that to become normal? Um... Boy, I, it's 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 a gradual process of becoming quote unquote normal. You know, uh, there are, for me, I really get very touched, genuinely touched when I feel acknowledged either by my peers or by by people, you know, I've never met before who are just fans of, of the work. And I feel humbled by that. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm a humble person person necessarily you don't have an ego like anybody else but 
it does the reaction I have tends to be one of feeling a, a, a sort of an outpouring of love for that person and um, a desire to have them in my life. Um, and so I just feel sort of the blessing in my life, what, what, you know, as that opened up for me. And I do remember the times, you know, where a bad review would, would devastate me um, or, a, you know, a, a negative comment would just, you know, crush me. And one of the things that having a prolific career and having success has done is it um, it lures you from those ups and downs. So the, and but the ups as well. You know, you if somebody says you won this fantastic award, you go, oh, nice, because it's all a little bit unreal. You know, I've I've had situations where people have loved a song of mine that I thought was the maybe the dumbest song I ever wrote in my life. And people go, oh, we love that song. I go, okay, great. And I've had the situation where people have completely ignored or trashed a song I've written that I thought, I really know the song is so special. But again, contextually, it, for whatever reason, it, it fell beneath the radar. Or And you learn to just go with the flow on, on, on those things. And also, if you look at the Newsies lesson, yesterday's failure was today's success. And and um, you just don't know what happens because of the effect of time uh, and, and time on a piece of art, or, you know, and you never know. I never could have predicted the staying power of Little Shop of Horrors. It was wonderful when it was first to hit, but the idea that it's still doing what it's doing all these years later and and more so and more so and more so is of course a revelation to me and and you go who knew and of course it keeps you know our dear departed howard ashman very much in my heart and in my mind on a very constant basis because it's like incredible that it's just all the work he and i wrote together so so the test of time and he only he only saw actually of of those works really only saw two of the successes and barely that i mean he he saw the success of little shop of horrors obviously and he saw the success of little mermaid but it was in the midst of his illness never lived to see beauty and the beast never lived to see aladdin with regards to little shop of horrors as well i think it would be a miss of me not to say that that movie the movie version of it obviously i'm found your first Oscar nomination as well, which would probably be quite nice. I mean, we always remember your first and that's that's quite nice. It's always nice when you obviously get an, yeah. an award for that as well, but also the highest grossing off-Broadway show of the time. I yeah, mean, yeah. I imagine I, I sort of said, when was the moment that you realized that there was some great successes happening? I can imagine that's that, one of them. That was, yeah. Well, that was the, the big breakthrough was that one. When I did Little Shop of Horrors, I had, as well as writing for theater, I was I was writing jingles and I was, playing in clubs and I was basically, you know, struggling, writing songs for Sesame Street, doing, you know, the, the things we do. And I remember telling the man who had the, the, the jingle company that I was working at part-time, but I would come in and do lots of jingles. Um, I said, look, I, I have one more show. If this one goes away of the, along with the root of the other ones, which is, you know, success to steam, but then doesn't make me money, or, then I'll take an office here and, I'll, I'll do, I'll write jingles on a regular basis. And I was set for that, you know? Um, and then Little Shop opened and it was this phenomenon. Yeah, and that's like an out-of-body experience. You know, it's, you really never can 
internalize that kind of success and take it. You, 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 let's put it this way: you should never take it onto yourself as a um, something you own. It's something you're blessed with, and you're very fortunate. And you know, you really have a responsibility as a human being to share your blessings, you know, with your family, with your friends, with the and with the world, and also to realize that these gifts are things that are that come through us and are given to us and and then you pass the torch on to others that's i think the price of having the gifts that that we have it's it's a wonderful moment a, a feeling of oh my god this monkey's off my back i i i, I look i have a, a success and that's that's a very big moment and then you go right back to work that's what i was trained to do and that's what i live to do and that's i think one of the keys to my success do you think that little shop of horrors had the success that perhaps your first musical separate ways deserved <laughs> separate ways <laughs> no i don't think separate ways deserve much of anything uh, <laughs> um i was at college and oh my god yeah a song called thank god for marriage you want <laughs> marijuana i want to have another back i was a hippie at nyu and i met this girl named elise wakerman and i wrote music and lyrics to this show which was about generation gap i remember you know we talked about generation gap in the 60s no i think i think ex exactly what was meant to happen is what happened but there are sh early shows of mine that i still very much want to have out in the world and i want them to be recognized there are some where i go I don't I don't need to go back to that and and some that I would but not certainly not separate ways I feel like we can make a hashtag sort of justice for separate ways and we can, we can oh no out. no please don't please don't William no please don't <laughs> I was joking at the start about you working on so many different projects and I think it'd be very easy for me to go through a list of the things that you've done and ask you questions about everything but I feel like you've been asked multiple multiple and then multiple times again about you know working on Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and the successes that right. you've had and of course those movies those obviously stage adaptations even in some cases the remakes have very sentimental moments within the audience's lives you know people grow up with it at a young age and then they come around to being a parent <clears> and they get the opportunity to pass that joy on to somebody else do you find now that the generations of people from your earlier work are sort of now adults with their small children and do they oh. sort of explain to you how much it meant to them and now their kids absolutely i'm a part of that just before the whole disney chapter of my life began we were in the throes of the AIDS crisis. I had had to discuss the success of Little Shop. Um, Janice and I had bought a farm out in rural Pennsylvania, just a place to go out, out to, you know, a second home. I loved being out there. And my daughter, Anna, had been born. And it was a terrifying time because of the AIDS crisis and because none of us knew how pernicious this would be. And, whether it was going to just <laughs> wipe out the world and you're bringing a child into the world. And Disney has, was re-releasing all the Disney classics on VHS. And I would put in these movies that I grew up on, Pinocchio and Fantasia and Peter Pan and and and, and Cinderella and all of the, the Disney classics. And it all came back to me and through me. And I shared it with my daughter at that time, this, this incredible space which is these movies. And was it was with that spirit in me that I embarked on working at Disney when Howard called me and said, 
they have this opportunity to work at Disney. Yeah, the the the, the, the torch was passed to me, and the torch gets keeps getting passed. Yeah, and I love that people so passionately remember you know the work that they responded to as a child. And the lesson in that a little bit is that in in some respect, always write to the child in people. Doesn't mean that you write to children, but you write to the child in the person, and that is a very primal part of yourself and a a very innocent or open part of yourself. Never lose sight of that. That's such a fantastic way. And the perfect message, I think, is I imagine not just for your success, but for us as an audience as well is I think it's about escapism. And I love the fact that when you watch movies from the past or even new creations and remakes, you know, I remember thinking it with Beauty and the Beast. I feel like this is the first time I've ever seen this tale on stage. And I, I think that's part of the success. It is. Although I would, I would quibble with the word escapism because in essence it's tapping into very real parts of our psyches that want to be tapped into you know if you look at a movie like beauty and the beast and you have all the enchanted objects well we're tapping into really a sense of family finding your authentic family so they're about love they're about acceptance they're about our our fears they're about our our, our yearnings and our 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 goals in life and they very they touch those things very primarily. I think that's the key to success of these things. One show that I know has caught the attention of a music superstar is Miss Ariana Grande. And I know that she performed I Won't Say I'm In Love, which is just the most amazing rendition. I must confess, I have it on about five minutes before I opened I up our her. chat today. Yeah. What was it like the first time you got the opportunity to, to sort of witness her perform that? Oh, I love she's adorable. And I, I, you know, I've been, obviously I've been seeing her work since she was a little girl. There are certain people, Ariana, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who I, I knew as a little boy. You see the essence of who they are in, in, in sort of as a child. And then you the, the passion that they feel about both as, as a listener and as a performer and just this hunger to be a part of it. And then you see that become a part of who they are as they grow and as performers. That's an amazing thing to watch. And it also tells you, again, that stifling, you know, a young child's passions is a, is, is a huge crime. If you allow them free form to indulge those passions, it will grow into something so powerful in the world. And you see that in Ariana and you see that in, in, in Lynn. Is it then a full 360 moment when you get the opportunity to collaborate and work with Lynn on The Little Mermaid? On oh, God, creation? yeah. Is it, I mean, apart from the fact I imagine you feel really old, does it, is it quite nice to get to work <laughs> with him? I don't feel that old, but it was, you know, the, the way it came about is people became aware about uh, Lynn's passion for this particular project. Uh, Little, He was obsessed with Little Mermaid. They, his son is named Sebastian, and he would give interviews about that. I think it was um, Sean Bailey at, at Disney had read one of those interviews and said, maybe Lynn should work with you on Little Mermaid. I, and I had no idea what a collaboration with Lynn would even look like or feel like. But I said, oh, okay, sure. You know, because a lot of what's happened in this part of my career is me being teamed with new collaborators. And I have wonderful collaborators I've worked with for many years, with, whether working with uh, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul on Aladdin or working with Lynn on A Little Mermaid. But that brings out new parts of, of myself. I'm working on the museum with it's young writers, Alan Schmuckler and Michael Mahler as lyricists. And I love that. But I still am working on projects with Stephen and with Stephen Schwartz and Glenn Slater and, and Jack Feldman and Tim Rice and, and still working on, you know, with the late Howard Ashman and um, 
There's a collaborator I had named Steve Brown. I wrote a few shows with back just before Little Shop of Horrors and also even after he passed away. Also during that, the AIDS crisis time, well, three of my collaborators at that point passed away. Being teamed with different collaborators just brings out all these different things in me. And um, when someone like Lynn comes into the room or, or Pasek and Paul, I mean, they also walk in with this sense of, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here because the child of them is going, wow. That's, also, that's just part of, they grew up with what I do. Well, people are growing up with what they do. Uh, so you have to have a perspective about that, know that how people, you know, invest in those artists and their work is, is, is um, it's magical. Magical is definitely the word. So the next Alan Menke musical, because of Lin-Manuel Miranda, is going to feature lots of rapping. Is that the new direction? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> there is some rapping in it. And I really can't take much credit for the rap aspect of it. Yeah, there's some rapping in it, but there's... There's, there's some very Mencken songs. There's some very very Miranda songs, but it's all it's all, you know, the blend of Mencken Miranda. You know, I love him and I love working with him, and I love you know I'm glad that we had the opportunity to do that. Um, he's also a producer on the movie, but Lynn, you know, he juggles a lot of things as I do, and so um, we will have occasional contact. But right now, it's in the hands of the, the, the amazing Rob Marshall. And as we speak, they are in London right now. We're filming. I would very quickly just like to ask you, um, speaking of The Little Mermaid, just about your Ariel, because she's an unbelievable talent and it's wonderfully exciting. Can you talk to me about Hallie? Oh, my gosh, she's adorable and so talented. I met Hallie at the recording sessions. Well, first we had a, a, a luncheon when the cast was assembled, which was, it was, you know, as, as usual, those moments are unreal. You know, there's Javier Bardem in my musical um, playing playing Triton and um, oh, I'm like <laughs> Melissa McCarthy and just an amazing cast. Uh, Aquafina, but Hallie, oh, what a sweetheart and so talented. Um, I did have to, you know, uh, be educated in terms of what she and her her sister do together, which is incredible. Yeah, she's just a, an amazing talent and beautiful girl. And I got to meet her family and they were, it was for them, it was again, that out of body experience. Like, we can't believe our daughter's involved with this. But you know, for me, it's, this is something I, I started 30 years ago. And so really I'm, I'm sort of just the, uh, the happy grandpa kind of helping to, to watch the kids. <laughs> <laughs> One project of yours that when I met you last time that I embarrassed myself a lot by telling you repeatedly how much I loved it. Much, I think, to your surprise, and that was Leap of Faith. I yes, that's right. Now, now it's all coming back to me. You, I said, oh, I, poor Faith. It, poor. It, do you know what? Unfortunately, I never did get the opportunity to see it, but I do know the soundtrack very, very well. And I love the fact that it's. it feels like you, there are, of course so many exciting different sort of genres in there as well it sort of covers so many different places yeah but... yes at, at its essence it, it's a musical told through a gospel revival which is a, a compelling idea i i don't really want to belabor what the downsides of the musical was because it's i understand why it, it did not achieve the success it could have and i, I don't, I don't want to point fingers at, at why i loved working on it it was a long process of working on it because we went through a, a, a lot of changes and story changes and book writer changes and and going from a, a cinematic sensibility to a stage sensibility the, the mountain of incredible material that did, was that never made it into the show that 
we're in for a nanosecond. You know, it would have been a more, much more painful experience for me had it not come out exactly at the same time that Newsies reached the stage. So I, I, I got to have sort of you know what is it? What you know when you get a, a, a shot, they sort of grab one arm and 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 give you the shot in the other arm to distract you from it. Well, in a way, the, winning the Tony from Newsies distracted me from the fact that. It was a very painful night, the night of Tony's for the Leap of Faith, for a lot of reasons. I loved the cast. I loved being in the room with them. I don't regret anything about the experience. I don't know if the, sh if the show will ever have that much of a future. But again, like Newsies, like, if I even look at Hercules. Hercules was a, eh, you know, was not, a, not the biggest um, animated, but the passion about Hercules when it came to the stage had just grown and grown over the years. I, do I think that'll happen for Leap of Faith? I doubt it, but one never knows. I can keep everything crossed. That first musical, <laughs> the hashtag is gone. Maybe I'm going to put my money behind Leap of Faith. But... Okay, I'd love that. <laughs> I'd quickly like to ask you about Sister Act because we're getting a production back to the West End. I mean, I must confess, when I came to see Sister Act, like most people, was very protective, of course, of the film and when and just had the best time like the music i mean raise your voice is an anthem now i mean you must have seen the success that it's had all across the globe stepping into that world and, and obviously getting to work with Whoopi, i imagine is a great moment for you i love working with Whoopi. as i work with Whoopi as a producer Whoopi is i adore her she's just the most amazing spirit and intellect and i i, I love her so much mike bloomberg's uh, he was mayor of new york and he had a i think it was a luncheon for people in the arts. I got played a medley and, oh, what are you working? Someone asked, what are you working on? And I said, oh, I'm working on this and that. And then I'm doing a stage musical of Sister Act. And and I hear a voice in the room go, what? And it was Whoopi. She didn't know anything about it. I was like, whoops. It came through the Dis sort of the Disney channels, no pun intended, you know, through, through the Disney uh, process. Um, but Whoopi obviously felt an emotional ownership, which which is justified. And so from that point forward, you know, the producer said, let's, you know, Whoopi should be involved in this. And of course, it was a great boon that she was. You know, she was very helpful in in sort of being our eyes and ears, A, to, to the original intentions of the, of the movie, but also the sensibility of racially sensitive issues um, and, and avoiding stereotype, avoiding making light of the wrong things, but also uh, understanding that you're licensed to make light of certain other things. And Whoopi was very instrumental in, in being our uh, lightning rod on so many levels with, with that show. And, and of course, uh, we had Jerry Zachs directing it on, on Broadway and, and he did a wonderful job. It was, um, I love working on that show. I did. I, 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 um, and I think one of the key moments was saying, let, finding again, the unique world. I had already written a musical that had a, a Motown and a, and a, and a R&B um, score to it, which was, of course was Little Shop of Horrors. I always had wanted to do a, a show that was an homage to, to the sounds of the 70s, which is disco and funk and psychedelic soul and all, all that crazy um, over the top, you know, stuff. And so we found the op perfect opportunity with, with Sister Act. And I think as, as much of a success as it was, I still, I think Little uh, Sister Act has still underachieved. We were up against, I believe, was it Book of Mormon, I think, which was a phenomenon. 
so, but we still, you know, ran for two years um, and had a wonderful run in London. But I, anyway, I think I, I look forward to to Sister Act having a really long and successful life, you know, in the public. My final question to you, and and this seems like a very silly question to ask. So let's see how this goes. Do you think there will come a point in your career where you decide, I think I've done my bit. I think I've contributed enough and I think I'm ready to stop. <sighs> I don't think that day will come. I think there'll be, a, you know, as I get older and older, there'll be, there'll be a realization that mm, for, for new works coming out, that there's, there are fundamental changes in the in musical vocabulary and musical sensibilities that are not natural to me. They're not things I grew up with at all. And so they're not natural vocabularies. And I never really want to be that person who's, you know, trying to um, dress up in younger clothes, you know, getting a, a facelift and, and co coloring my hair and putting on the, you know, and well, doing the, the, the artistic equivalent of that. That would be a little sad and pathetic. I do think that I am the keeper of a flame for a, a certain classic kind of songwriting that I think people are very, very invested in. And I don't see a lot of that kind of songwriting in the world. So I, I, I think, so long as I think there's a unique place for what I do and for, for my sensibility and, and a unique contribution to the world in doing that, uh, I, I don't see ever stopping. Alan Menken, an honor and a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, William. Good to talk to you. Most importantly, please stay safe during these rather crazy times. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at elevenpodcast.com or via our official social channels. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.